All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. Happy Memorial Day. And uh, I, um, we've got some graduates in the house, too, or graduate families. So just big honor to all of our high school graduates, all the different schools in the area. So very excited for you. This is our first year in three years to not have a, gradu- a graduate and a graduation party going on. So I don't know that I've ever we've ever contended with 95 degree weather uh, hosting graduation parties. Usually it's cold or windy or rainy, but 95 degrees. So we're not in that game this year. You, those of you that are grace and mercy to you. So as you do that, so, but we really are excited for you graduates and what's, uh, what God's been doing in your life. Excited for your next steps as well. So just a quick word to the guy who was playing the guitar right over here and led that last song uh, is James Thompson. You're going to see him here. Uh, He's going to be uh, helping us lead worship here on a pretty regular basis. His day job is he's the choir director at City High. And so if you look familiar to some of you, uh, that's his real role. But he's going to be volunteering, helping us um, and with us uh, a lot in in the year ahead. So really excited for James and really all of John's team that he has up here. They do a great job serving us. So we are going to be looking in the Old Testament book of Ruth today. So if you have a Bible, it's a very short book. So if you have to use the table of contents to get to it, that's not cheating. You can get there that way. Or if you have an app, you can slide there on your phone. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 today. And there's a beautiful picture that's going to come out of our text today. And it's the phrase, uh, it's, it's the word picture of coming under the wing of God coming under God's wing. And so the Bible is full of metaphors of what it's like to be in relationship with God. So when you get to heaven someday, I don't think you're going to see God with feathers or God with a wing, but this is really a beautiful picture that's drawn from kind of the animal kingdom. And so when you think about the animal kingdom, first of all, here's a little picture. Animals can blunder like we can too. So here's a mom duck trying to walk her kids across the street go across the grate, and then, whoops, uh-oh. So, so animals can kind of blunder a little bit like we can too. But here's maybe some other images that come to mind when you talk about coming under the wing of God, that, that God is the almighty, the powerful one that invites his people to come and live their, live their lives with his protection and with his care. And what we're going to see this morning is that when you live in that place, when you live under the wing of God, you are set free to live a completely different kind of life. And so today, I would say especially today, to be a Christian in the Iowa City area, there are immediately some presumptions against you from many places in our culture. Things, conclusions about you as a follower of Jesus that aren't positive. And so I think we live in a day where there are many cynics, skeptics about what it means to follow God. And so um, while our truth is important and our arguments you know, for defending our faith are really important, I really do feel like as a people and as a church, we've got some work to do ahead of those conversations that we can then have to explain our faith. And I think what needs to happen beforehand is there's a verse in the New Testament that talks about adorning the gospel, about putting on the gospel so that people will see the beauty of the gospel in our lives. And then when they see it, they will ask, like, what's going on? Where did you get that life? And so what we're going to see in three characters in this story of Ruth this morning is what does it look like if we were to truly be a people that live under the wing of God? And what kind of statement would we make then to this city that can be really skeptical or maybe even bitter toward Christianity? So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into uh, this great little book in the Old Testament called Ruth. Let me pray. So, Father, thank you 
uh, just for this weekend, there's so many things we're um, acknowledging and celebrating God as we remember those who have uh, served our country well and that we have the freedoms we have now to preach your word and to gather because of many lives that were spent uh, purchasing this freedom for us. So thank you for those memories we have today. Thank you too for graduates as we celebrate as families, achievements that we've seen with our kids. And so praise you for that. Um, But over all of those this morning, we are here to acknowledge Jesus, what you have done for us, that you have given your life so that we can be a people that can be invited to come and live under the wing of God. And so help us listen to what that means. Help us really look at our lives and see if we're really living like we're just living up to that invitation. Are we really living under the wing of the Almighty God? So teach us today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do today is look at three characters, the three main characters in this book of Ruth. And so where we're going to start is with the namesake of the book. We're going to start with Ruth, okay? And so um, I'm just trying to catch you up a little bit from the last couple weeks. Ruth was a Moabite widow who had returned to Israel uh, with her mother-in-law named Naomi, who was also a very poor widow. And these two women were in a very bad spot. They were poor. They had no income. They had no family to protect them or provide for them. And so for Ruth especially to move to to Israel with her mother-in-law was an amazing risk. She was stepping in as a foreigner. She was susceptible to physical abuse, verbal abuse. Um, The time in which she stepped back into Israel was a very dark time. We saw at the beginning of the book of Ruth, it said that this was the day of the judges. And if you look at all of the Old Testament history, these were the darkest days. The motto of these days was that people did what was right in their own eyes. So anything goes. And if you are a vulnerable, unprotected foreign woman, you are especially stepping into a very difficult situation. But what we saw at the end of chapter one is that this decision to go with Naomi was Ruth's decision. And she made this amazing commitment to Naomi. She said, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I'm going to die. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Like that's the punchline right there because as a Moabite, Ruth was raised worshiping a God named Chemosh. And we saw one of the names that described Chemosh was subduer. And as you look at how Chemosh was, was worshiped, it was often through the sacrifice of young children, child sacrifice, such a cruel system of a God who's known as a subduer. But then Ruth hears about the God of Israel, whose name is Yahweh, the God who is rich in his loving kindness, who, is, who promises his love to his people, who's loyal to his people. I believe that Ruth as an outsider, like many of the surrounding nations in that day, heard of the God of Israel, heard of the God of Israel who who led his people out of Egypt, who guided his people through the wilderness and then gave his people a promised land. I, I think Ruth was among those who from a distance had an awe of the God of Israel. And so then went through conversation with Naomi or in some way Ruth realizes that she can become a follower of Yahweh, she throws it all in. She's no longer an outsider, but now she's on the team. And so as she's stepping back into Israel with Naomi, I think we're seeing a young woman with a brand new faith, ready to test it out. Let's see how good this God is going to be to me. He's famous for being good to his people. Now I'm one of his people. Let's go. Let's see what he's going to do for me. And so um, 
right away, one of the principles we grab from Ruth's life is that when you, um, you're freed from fear, when you step out and courageously follow God, when you're, just, you're freed up from fear so you can live courageously. And that's exactly what Ruth is modeling for us. Can I say that a Christian who lives in fear should be an oxymoron? What? You know, like, why would you be afraid? You know the God of the universe, and he is for you, and he's with you. And so I know we all struggle with fear, but, but Ruth is just putting on display. She's a courage because of her new faith in Yahweh. And so let's pick it up now in verse 10 of chapter 2. You're going to see that as she moves out in faith, then God is going to respond to her, and God is going to meet her needs. So what, what we saw last week is that she stepped out of the walls of Bethlehem to go gather food in the fields. She and Naomi were very poor. And so the way that they were going to eat was to have Ruth actually go out and just glean leftover crops from a field. And so she steps out of the city wall. And just can you imagine just all these fields and all these different teams of people harvesting, not big signs like this is so-and-so's field or this is Boaz's field, but just all these fields are marked with just rocks. And so by chance, she steps into a field of a man named Boaz who sees her, who cares for her, who provides her. And so now we pick it up in verse 10 and we'll see um, Ruth and Boaz having a conversation. So, so Boaz has been kind to her. In verse 10, it says that, that Ruth fell on her face bowing to the ground. And she said to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. You have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat the bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And she sat beside the reapers and he passed her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. One thing I've been learning as I've been studying narratives in the Old Testament is that you won't see the Old Testament writers pause and give you a paragraph. Of like, now, Ruth was a woman who was like this and like this. What they do is they let the character of the characters in this story emerge through dialogue and through their actions. And so what is coming through loud and clearly about Ruth is that she is a very confident Uh, a very courageous woman, but she's also a very humble woman. She uh, is very quick to acknowledge all that Boaz is doing for her. It's not like, well, it's about time somebody came through for me. Look at all that I'm doing for Naomi. I mean, her posture is, is one of humility, and she's incredibly grateful, and she exalts Boaz for his kindness to her. So she's very confident, but she's also very helpful, very, I mean, I'm sorry, very humble. And what we pick up from the story is that her care for Naomi is going viral. Like people, she is famous in Bethlehem because she's that foreign woman who came and is caring for her mother-in-law and has given up so much to be with Naomi. 
And you almost sense in this story that Boaz, uh, he's very excited for what she's doing. He is encouraging her for what, he's, what she's doing. In fact, you almost sense that he's excited that she's in his field. Like, the, now we're talking. Like, this is the kind of person I like having in my fields. Like, you are here. You are so welcome. And so the banner over Ruth's life is that she was so helpful to Naomi. She was free from pride. She was free from despair or selfishness. She wasn't consumed with her own needs or her rights or her future. But really, she was set. She had one ambition, and that was to care for Naomi. And as a Moabite woman who now had faith in God under his wing, she was going to be relentless in her care for Naomi. And so she was free from proud, I'm sorry, she was free from pride so that she could live humbly. She was free from greed so that she could provide for others. And so it's good for us to pause and, and just ask ourselves, are we living like we are under the wing of God? Like as you look at how we use our time, as you look at how we use our finances, what Ruth understood, and even in her young faith, was that God was going to be there for her. God was going to be loyal to her. So therefore, she could give her life for Naomi and God would provide for her. And so for us this morning, we have so much more evidence that God is for us than even Ruth did because we are on this side of the cross. Ruth was pre-Jesus, pre-cross, but on this side of the cross, we can have no doubt that God is for us. Because he's already met our greatest need. We are sinners separated from a holy God. But God gave his son Jesus to die for us so that sinful people like us could actually come under the wing of God. And so even more than Ruth, there ought to be evidences in our lives that we know that. And so we're we're generous with our things, with our time. And um, Lori and I, I want to say Lori's doing really well. I'm, I'm playing catch up here, but, but in our marriage, the times where we have extended ourselves, where we have been generous, where we have given time, we have never seen God let us down. God has always been faithful to provide for us, even when things looked risky. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know if we're going to have time for this. God has in, been incredibly faithful to us. And so just a good reminder to all of us is that at the end of our lives, no one will say, God, you let me down. God, you ripped me off. God, I trusted you too much. God, I was too generous. God, I served too much. It's going to be the exact opposite as we see how good God is to meet our needs. And so uh, Ruth is living out uh, with courage. She's living out with humility because she's living under the wing of God. Okay, so that's, that's a beautiful picture there. So we look at Ruth. Now next we look at this man named Boaz. So what, what, what evidences do we see that Boaz is a man who is living under the wing of God? So what we know about Boaz so far, we saw this at the beginning of chapter 2, is that he's a wealthy landowner, he owns a lot of land, and he's described to us as a noble man. And the first thing we saw that, uh, that Boaz did, the first words that came out of his mouth, uh, was when he was talking to his workers, and he said, God be with you. And the workers replied back to him, the Lord bless you. So here's a man that has land, who has workers, yet it's very clear that God is at the center of his life. I mean, his first word to the workers, again, is God be with you. So his, his position, his relationship 
with God is clear. His identity in God is very clear. And so, again now, let's dive back into the narrative and let's just watch how Boaz speaks with Ruth. Because one thing we're going to see emerge from the life of Boaz is that he has a kindness toward outsiders. He is kind toward outsiders. Okay, so verse 8, chapter 2 says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, don't glean in another field and don't leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So a couple things already. First, you see Boaz has other women in her condition. Like Boaz is already caring for other poor, perhaps widowed women. Like this is how he rolls. He's a caring man. We also see uh, that he's concerned about Ruth's protection. Again, these were very dark days. So he commanded the men around these fields, don't you dare touch Ruth. And later he's going to say, don't rebuke Ruth. He's guarding her from physical abuse and verbal abuse. He is just caring for her. He's protecting her. It goes on and says, and when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. She's saying, here's where we drink. This is where I get my water. Why don't you just come on in? You're going to get your water here too. And then he says this, The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Again, he is acknowledging her sacrificial love for Naomi. Like, and new to the faith, even though she's an outsider, he says, May the God of Israel bless you for what you're doing. And so, you know, they say that a real test of a man's character is how he treats women. And so already we see Boaz is off the charts in the way that he is caring for Ruth. In fact, on one level, it almost sounds um, directive. Like he's, he's saying, you're going you're to glean in this field. You're going to glean with these women. These guys are going to protect you. Here's where you get your water. Like so on one hand, that sounds directive. But you can imagine if you're Ruth, those directions are an incredible blessing to you. She had no idea where she was going to glean. She had no connections in this area. And to be told so directly, but so kindly, this is where you'll serve. Here's some water. Here's some food. Here's some protection. He, he totally changed her life by just acknowledging and seeing her situation. And so he was kind to the outsider. One glance changed everything for her. And so um, there's a couple things that I think God did in Boaz's life. Again, when you look through Old Testament stories, please don't, I think the goal isn't to elevate Ruth as the, the, as the hero of this story or that Boaz is the hero of this story, but look for the hero behind these heroes. And the hero behind both Ruth and Boaz is Yahweh God. And so there are two things that God did in Boaz's life uh, to prepare him uh, to be kind to the outsider. Um, first, the law that God gave to landowners like Boaz was that he was supposed to leave grain in the field, that as they harvested and left grain behind, he wasn't supposed to send his workers back to pick it up. He was supposed to leave that in the field so that those who were poor or 
uh, just needed food, had a dignified way to gather food for themselves. There were even portions of the field that they were to leave unharvested just so those in need could have a place to get food. And whenever those laws were commanded, God would point to the reason why he wanted his people to do that. And he wanted them to do that because it reflected the kind of God that he is. That there were times in Israel's history where they were in trouble and God met their needs. God was gracious with, God, with his people when they were outsiders, when they were poor. And so now God is telling his landowners, I want you to reflect my heart. I want you to be generous uh, with those who are in need around you. And so um, what was really clear to Boaz was that his position wasn't something that he just earned and deserved. This was something that God had done for him. God was gracious to him, and now God is calling Boaz to be gracious with the people in need around him. So there's an expression I used to use when I did youth ministry here, and we would uh, acknowledge our seniors. One of my favorite expressions to use around graduation time is the expression of a turtle on a fence post. Right? If you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you know that guy didn't get there by himself, right? He didn't shimmy up that, you know, turtles kind of can't do that. He didn't jump up there. He didn't fly up there. Somebody put him there. And so that was often like something we'd say to our seniors is sometimes around graduation time, uh, we can hear all the accolades and we can hear, oh, you did a great job. You did a great job. But all those hallmark moments in our lives are really good times for us to look back and say, who was it that helped me get here? Like, who were the teachers that spent extra time with me? Who were the teachers that took notice of me? Who were the people in my family that encouraged me at different hard times? Who were the friends that God brought into my life? Who were the coaches or the employers? And so I think Boaz had that deep understanding that he was not a self-made man, that he was a turtle on a fence post, and that just like God had been gracious with, with him, now God is calling Boaz to be gracious to the outsiders around him. So, but here's one other thing about Boaz, um, and I, I may lose some of you on this. If you've not been in the Bible really a lot, I'm going to try to keep you with me here, but, but there's something amazing that comes out of this short little book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. Um, is when you jump to the New Testament, and in Matthew chapter 1, we see a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Like who, who were Jesus, you know, who did Jesus descend from? And in that genealogy, there are the names of four women. Most of the time, genealogies in that time were patriarchal, so it'd be all the dads. But four different times, the moms were mentioned. And two of the four moms are in this story of Ruth. Okay, here's a spoiler alert, but Ruth is going to be one of those women. In fact, if you look at Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6, it, g- it gives these names. And again, some of you guys' genealogies is like reading the phone book. Just, it's just a bunch of names, but, but these are significant names. Okay, so Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6 says, uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz, okay, so that's our guy Boaz, by Rahab. Okay, there's a woman's name we'll come back to. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. There's our hero again. Man, I've just ruined the story for some of you guys. Ruth and Boaz are going to have a kid. Now you're seeing that, okay? So, and it says, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. So a couple things you see here is that Ruth is going to become King David's great-grandmother. That's awesome. And then Ruth is going to be eventually in the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That's awesome. But... This other woman who's mentioned just in this short part of the genealogy is this woman named Rahab who is said to be Boaz's mom. 
Okay, so quick story. Some of you guys know the story. Some of you don't. But Rahab was a prostitute who lived in a city called Jericho. And when God was leading his people into a promised land, Jericho was going to be the first mighty city that God was going to help his people conquer. And so, so Joshua at that time was leading God's people into the promised land, sent two spies uh, to go check out the city of Jericho. And Rahab saw these spies, and she helped them. And it was Rahab that told the spies, you know what? Our people are scared to death of your God. Like, your God is amazing. In fact, are you okay if I switch from my team to your team? Like, I, I want to follow your God. And does that sound familiar? Does that sound like Ruth a little bit and kind of her story? And so as the story goes on, God's people do go into the promised land. Rahab's life is spared, and she joins God's people and follows uh, Israel's God. And as we see in the story here, she becomes the mother of Boaz. And so here's Boaz, really, that there were some laws in the Old Testament that, that encouraged God's people not to do anything with Moabites. Stay away from Moabites, because They had treated God's people wrong in the past. And even in a greater way, they had tried to lead God's people into idolatry, away from worshiping God. And God said, stay away from Moabites. And yet when when, um, Boaz looked at Ruth, he didn't immediately wipe her out. There's a Moabite woman. Forget all about her. There was something in him that resonated with her story. And I think it was the story of his mom. His mom was one born... Uh, to a foreign God who then transferred allegiance to the God of Israel. And now clearly here's another woman who by her actions and by her words has left the God Chemosh and is now following the God Yahweh, the, the true God. And so, so God is clearly at work in Boaz's life so that he has a heart for the outsider. And so uh, because we serve a God who has a heart for the outsider. You know, and it, it's a good thing of that because Anyone in this room that claims to be close to God or have a relationship with God, that all stems from the fact that we have a God who has a heart for us when we were on the outside. We, we are all sinful people. Like we, it's not like any one of us was born close to God. Oh yeah, I just, you know, God and I have so much in common. We're both holy. We're both so righteous. We're both so strong and self-sufficient. Like that's none of our story. Like we are about as far from God as you can get. And yet God has a heart for us by having Jesus die for us so that we could be brought close to him and live under his wing. And so Boaz knows that's his narrative. And whether it be from watching his mom's story play out or just his own story play out. He sees that God is a merciful God for the outsider and that God can bring an outsider in, draw them close, and do amazing things with their lives. And so, so Boaz was so prepared for this moment by God and what he did in his life and what he did in his mom's life. And before we mo- move on, let me just ask us this question. Like, what is, what's one of the clearest signs that we are truly living under the wing of God? that you and I are doing that. And I, I think one of those signs is going to be you're going to see in our lives a heart for the outsider. Because if we're living under the wing of God, we know we didn't get there on our own. We're just that turtle on a fence post. Like, this isn't because of what I did. This is the heart of my God. He brought me close. Now, who else needs to know that? Like, who else in my life right now is on the outside and just really needs to know that we worship a God who brings us close through Jesus. So I think those of us that truly understand living under the wing are also going to be the people that when you look at our relationships, 
You look at who we hang out with. It's not going to be all people like us. It's not going to be all people who look like us. You know, all of our thought energy, all of our relational energy, all of our prayers aren't going to go just to people like me. But there's going to be outsiders throughout our lives. And that's a good question to ask us individually, ask us as a church. Like um, this, some people can ask the question, who is Parkview Church for? Is this for us who know God? Or is this church here for this city? Is this church here for the world? And I would just say yes. Like, yes. You know, this city should say it's a good thing Parkview is here because we're famous for being a people who reach out of these walls so that people can know the God who loves to bring us close. And so we've seen Ruth and what God's been doing in her life. We've seen Boaz, what God's been doing in his life. Now let's look at Naomi. This is our third character in this story. She is the bitter mother-in-law who appears for a time in her life to have just totally walked away from God. So for 10 years, Naomi and her husband Elimelech left Bethlehem and moved to Moab. That's about as far from God as you could get. For 10 years, she did not hear God worshiped. She did not hear God's word preached. She lived with people who worshiped a completely different God. So for 10 years she was there, and while she was there, her husband died, her sons died. And so that's the connection with Ruth. She uh, met Ruth because Ruth married one of her sons. And so when Naomi decided to go back to Bethlehem, Ruth made the big commitment to come back with, with Naomi. And so Naomi comes back. We saw this last week. She comes back into Bethlehem. She's been gone 10 years, and all the people see her coming back. And they're not even sure it's her. I mean, she's been through such hardship. Say, is that Naomi? And who's that woman with her? And Naomi corrects them. If you were here last week, you remember, Naomi means pleasant. She said, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. So Naomi was just bitter at God. He had disappointed her. He had hurt her. And so um, she did not, she was not, at this time you would say, not living under the wing of God. She had just chosen to go. But what we're going to see through Naomi's story is that God has a heart, even for one of his people that wanders away, away from his wing. He has a compassion on them to bring them back. Okay, so look at 2.17. We'll pick it up and look at Naomi for a little bit. So 2.17, it says that Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So none of you guys are using ephahs today as measurement probably. That was about 30 pounds of grain. That was about a half month's wage. So here's Ruth coming home, like this big old bag or this big old bucket or something of grain, okay? So she comes home, verse 18, it says, she took it up, she went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her food that she had left over from being satisfied. So part of the narrative earlier, I don't know if we read through it, but Boaz invited Ruth into an inner circle. It was like he catered out Olive Garden, okay, or, or chilies or red lobster, whatever it is your thing is. And so they had a big meal, and so there were leftovers. And so Ruth's coming home with like 30 pounds of grain in his big old carryout bag, breadsticks, lasagna, Olive Garden. And so just kind of comes into the home and just lays that before Naomi. Naomi's like, whoa. Where have you been? Like, who did you glean for today? This is, this is amazing. So she's just stunned. It says, and her mother-in-law said to her, where'd you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. 
And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours and he is one of our redeemers. So Naomi is shocked. She's seen Ruth just kind of go out of the walls, have no idea where she's going. And she comes back with all this grain and olive garden to boot. And then finally it's this name Boaz that just triggers with Naomi. Not only are our short-term needs met right now, we got some food, we're good for half a month, but uh, this guy named Boaz could be our family redeemer. Now the next couple weeks, Jeff's preaching, Wade's preaching, you're going to hear much more about that concept of a kinsman redeemer. But what Naomi is seeing is major favor from God. For tonight, we got good eats, but long-term, there is hope for our situation. And she is absolutely stunned. And I think the key verse out of what we just read from Naomi is verse 20, where she said this, may he be blessed by the Lord. She's talking about Boaz. What a generous man. May he be blessed by the Lord. But then listen to what she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who's she talking about there? It's not Boaz. She's talking about the Lord there. He is the one whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is beginning to see, you know, she's been bitter, she's left God, she's been away, but she's beginning to see the kindness of God, not just to Ruth, not just to Boaz, uh, but to her. And so Naomi is seeing in fresh ways the kindness of God. All this is ultimately from God. God is the one that arranged that Ruth goes to Boaz's field, that just arranged that Boaz so happens to be a family redeemer, and she's beginning to see the light. God is kind. God is patient, even with a bitter woman like me, who's just totally abandoned God for 10 years. God in his kindness is still drawing me under his wing. And so a couple of things for us to take out of this. Um, number one is that um, as a church, when we live out the gospel truth, when we live like people under the wing, when we show kindness to outsiders, we show generosity, we show courage as we serve, what we're putting on display is the kindness of God. Because very likely the skeptical world that looks at our faith and mocks it, there, there, there is in many cases, an, a, a, there is a core of bitterness that has caused that, of hurt and of disappointment. And instead of us just saying, our God is kind, our God is merciful, what if we were a people that actually just display that in people's lives? It took Ruth and Boaz living out what it looks like to live in God's wing to finally get it, to, so that Naomi could finally get it. She saw it in their lives. And then she connected the dots to God and said, God is merciful. Even with a bitter woman like me who has wandered far from God, he is bringing me back. And so may we be that church that as we live, as we serve, as we share, as we befriend, that what we're doing is we're putting the gospel on display for people who are bitter and far from God. And let me say one thing to us too. If we were being completely honest this morning, and we just looked at three characters, we looked at Ruth, we looked at Boaz, we looked at Naomi, complete honesty. Like who, who do you tend to be like most of the time. Like you may have your noble Boaz moments and maybe there's those courageous moments you're Ruth and totally throw yourself in for somebody else. I, I think if we were honest, there's a lot of Naomi in us. 
that, okay, God, you're not coming through for me. We talked about this last week. We're famous for writing our own story and handing it to God and say, God, here's my story, do this. And when he doesn't do this, we get bitter and disillusioned with him when actually God is writing an amazing story. Even for Ruth and Boaz, the story of how is the redeemer of the earth going to come? He's one of the key players are going to be a peasant woman and a landowner, and he's going to do amazing things through their lives. So the same is true for us. Instead of us just handing God a story and saying, God, endorse my story, it's going to be, God, what is your story? What are you calling me into? There will be moments of hardship. There will be moments where we've wandered away, and God in his grace brings us back. But our lives are more about his story than, than our story. And so um, what we need to do is... We talked about this a little bit last week. If we find ourselves in that place of despair, in that place of we're just kind of bitter, God, we're frustrated, God, we don't see your kindness. It doesn't feel like I'm under your wing right now. Last week we talked about what a lament means. And guys, we had, I had so many good conversations this week and just good prayer times with people. But please, this morning, if you're just blunt honest and you say, I know I shouldn't be, but I'm Naomi this morning. Let me, there's an outline, on your outline, there's these four words. I hardly ever come up with an acrostic, so please appreciate the acrostic. But here's the four things that I think God calls us to this morning. Number one is to cry out to God. Like if you're bitter this morning, tell him, okay? If you're hurting this morning, tell him. Don't hide that. You see that throughout this scripture that God loves it when his people are real and raw with their prayers. He already knows what's on your heart. You don't have to clean yourselves up and then pray to him. Just pray your guts out. Like however you are feeling at that moment, you cry out to God. And then you ask him for help. So C is cry out to God. A is ask him for help. Just tell him bluntly what you need. Ask him. Uh, and then the L, L is next, is you look for evidences of his kindness. Look for evidences of his kindness. And if you need a place to start, what if you started your day at the foot of the cross? Like if you really want to see where's your greatest need and what's the greatest example of God loving an outsider, of God loving you, a sinner, uh, what's the greatest gift God has ever given you? You start at the cross. But then you, you look in other places in your life. God, where are you moving? God, who are the people in my life that you're bringing my way? God, where are you answering? They may seem small, but where are you already answering the prayers that I've been crying out to you? And then the M is you make his praise known. That as you see him work, so you see it spells calm. You can hold your applause. Like, I don't do acronyms much, but, but if you find yourself in that Naomi moment, you cry out to God, be honest, you ask him for help, you look for evidences of his kindness, and then you make his praise known. And so, uh, one more quick link here. As a church, we've been talking a lot about uh, the 2020 vision and about what God is calling us to do as a church. Like, how can we take this gospel to this whole county, possibly in three different areas? And so a lot of our conversation, I feel like, has centered on buildings and budgets. Like somebody was asking me this week, so is like discipleship anywhere in here? Or it's like, well, if you look at a lot of our documents, it's usually the first point. But then like, if you look at all the questions we're answering, they're usually about buildings and budgets and stuff, which I understand. But, but what needs to lead any movement of a church isn't going to be where are we going to worship or what are we going to own, but what are we going to do? How are we going to live our lives? 
And so really the most exciting, where we do these things is so secondary to what are we going to do. And as a church, we're kind of just, in some ways at the staff level, we're calling this, what's Parkview 2.0 look, going to look like? Not that there was anything wrong, 1.0, we thank God for what he's done in 1.0, but like what's it, if we were to be called to a new level of following Jesus, what would that look like? And so far, you're going to hear this in the fall, we're going to kind of unpack a DNA series, but here's the five statements we're really starting to hone in on, that we would be a church that enjoys God's presence. Like we love to worship. We love to pray to him. We're known for that. So we enjoy God's presence. We live God's story. So we're a people of the book. We're a people of the scripture, that it's about living his story, not ours, that we love God's people, that more and more we get in deep, rich community with each other so we can care for each other, meet each other's needs, that we are people who share God's gifts that we're, ge- we're just known for being generous, that when there's needs in the body and in our city, we're that church that meets those needs and that we're a church that serves God's world in, in, in sharing the gospel, that we just make sure that anyone on the outside in our city knows that they're invited to be on the inside, that they're invited to live under the wing of God. And so the other components of the 2020 vision are really important. I do encourage you to pray, encourage you to ask questions, encourage you to just just keep seeking answers if you still have some questions. But bottom line, like the, at the end of the day, like if we can be a church that commits to those five callings of following Jesus, look out. Like where we meet will be an afterthought. Like our budgets are important, but what's most important is can we live like a people that are under the wing of God? So let me pray for us, then we're out of here. So uh, Father, thank you. There's, we are a room full and a live stream full of people that are, uh, are outsiders. Like we do not belong under the wing of Almighty God. And yet because you have been gracious, because you've been kind, because you've offered us forgiveness through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we can be people that just live close to you under your protection and under your provision. And God, that unleashes us to live a completely different life. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be greedy. We can just be set free. We don't live for ourselves. We can live for people around us that are just like us, that we're far from you and that you are inviting them close. And so I think of our seniors graduating, God, as they move to new, possibly new jobs or new schools in the fall, may they move out courageously knowing that they can live under your wing and you can care for them, and you can lead them. And God, for for all of us this morning, just whatever our battle is, whatever our bitterness may be, God, may we see that you're a God that loves to draw us close, and then you're a God that loves to set us free. And so God, may this church be a people that live under your mighty wing. In your great name we pray, amen.